welcome to this episode of the Divine Comedians podcast. I'm your host, Paula Wiseman, and today I am lucky enough to be chatting with writer, comedian and actor Simon Day. So, hey, Simon, it's fantastic to be chatting with you today. Hello, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. So people will obviously probably know you best for your work on The Far Show, the amazing Dave Angel, Billy Bleach, Competitive Dad, to name but a few. But I think the first time that I saw you, you were Tommy Cockles. It was in the very, very early 90s. Um, I, the first thing I ever did, I, I wrote some stand-up with a guy called Mark Swan, who, he had a fireplace shop, and, and Jim and Bob used to, to write above it, and he sort of made friends with them, and they moved, they moved down to very near where I lived in South East London, which is a stroke of luck, you know, for me, and he said, you know, you're funny, we should, we should write something, and that, you know, we, we show them, blah, blah, so he, he sort of forced me, helped me write it, and got all the wigs, and I did the 20 minutes, there was lots of different characters in there, did a talent night, and they were judging it, Jim and Bob, and I won. And they said, "Rate smart, you can come on tour with us, you know." And um, that, that people seemed to think that was the best thing in it, Tommy Cockle. So I started concentrating on that. And then when I did the Time Out New Act of the Year, which I won in two thousand and I remember nineteen ninety nine, whatever, no nineteen ninety two or something. I, it, it was held at Hackney Empire in a musical, so that was a real stroke of luck. So yeah. I did Tommy Cockles in a musical, which really helped me, you know. Um, and and I just started touring, doing that really, as opposed to the whole rest of the live show, which is lots of tapes and, and different things. Yeah. So I mean, how did you get started in stand up? It's not a natural uh, career progression, obviously, for a lot of people. So how did it kind of all start initially? Well, I, I sort of had always been funny, you know, tried to be funny. I was quite messed up kid, so I kind of, I was that kid who, I went to a sort of very rough secondary school and I had to make people laugh so I wouldn't get beaten up. Yeah. You know, put on different accents, pretend I was, you know, I was a mockney as not to get beaten up and all that stuff. And then I'd always sort of, that was the only thing I was really good at. People said, you know, you're good, you should do drama, or you should be an actor. And I, yeah. I remember I went to, to sort of some drama classes once and it was really... Really not for me, and then it was just luck. Really, I was in the right place at the right time. You know, as I say, that guy helped me write the thing. They were there, Jim and Bob. You know, up the creek, was sort of opposite where I lived, and it took off from there. But yeah, it, it's not a normal. You know, not normal people don't need to stand up in a dark room and say love me. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Career advisors, you normally, you know, you go in and they say, right, okay, what do you want to be? And if you said something like that to them, they would have just laughed you out of the place and sent you to work in Sainsbury's or somewhere, you know? Yeah, I had all that at school. Yeah. <laughs> I, think we all, yeah. I think we all had that at, at some point. I didn't point. start I was 29. I mean, yeah. you know, so I had a proper life by then. I'd been, you know, all kinds of stuff had happened to me and I'd had terrible jobs and mm. trouble with the police and all kinds of stuff. So by the time I did it, I'd had a normal life, which yeah. helped me do characters which were very believable. I spent years just sitting in pubs, you know, listening to people. Mm. I think you know, people don't realise being a character comedian is really about listening and watching people. And if I met a character, I would kind of try to get them talking. I would kind of get them, you know, I would sort of try and draw them out because I found people fascinating, you know, especially working class people. So it sounds really, to say that, it sounds really sort of uh, patronising. But I sort of, always lived in that environment you know because yeah. I had problems with addiction so I was always I was addicted to fruit machines and drink and all these things so I was kind of in that world mm. not by choice just by, by you know the fact that I was addicted to things you know 
Yeah, so I mean, where did Tommy come from? He was just—he was just an amazing character. I absolutely well, loved him. He started him. out. The idea was that he was one of these people on documentaries who you never recognised. When you have a documentary about someone who's died, you—you always have one person you've never heard of. There's a, you have the usual suspects. Say it's an old seventh screen. You have Jimmy Tarbuck and Bruce Forsyth. And there's one guy. You go, who's he? And he's, he's sort of like he's very uh, great pains to tell everyone that he was really good friends with the person, knew them really well, and calls him by the first name it sort of started from that and then it just sort of developed the voice and it was about doing the musical thing but making it making it surreal too and I, and, I, and now i realized it was a bit of it was a bit of peter cook you know mm, peter cook all yeah. that stuff well it was all outside the window trying it was bloody marlena dietrich you know <laughs> it was that juxtaposition of normal life and celebrities names which then became very sort of but everyone started doing it you know but it really came from peter cook and Pete and Dudge, you know, and mm. um, and, and a bit of bit of Monty Python helped it along, you know. Yeah, yeah, we had Lord Delphont in there as well as he was. Always in there. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I I was watching the other day the the uh, the thing you did on Wogan. It was back in '92, and you were on there with David Tomlinson. Yeah. I mean, that was incredible. It was just, it was just, you know. Yeah, I did the stand up. I don't know if you, they showed that, but I yes. did stand up twenty minutes first. Yeah. It was all old ladies, and they just didn't, they, you know, they didn't understand it. And when I sort of said something, I said, you know, and then he let me go. He said to me, "Tommy, you're rubbish," and they all went oh, like that. They sort of, <laughs> they, they didn't really get it. But the fact that he got it, David Tomlinson, I really thought, okay, you know, that I can make a go of this. The fact that he got it, do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. He was literally from that world, and he started sort of crying with laughter. Yeah. Um, it's quite a long sort of baggy interview and Terry, and Terry Wogan, you know, he did sort of suddenly break me out of character at one point, which I didn't really, which we never discussed. He suddenly went, but you're not really old, are you? Which was a bit annoying, but anyway, don't speak of the dead. Yes, indeed, indeed. Yeah, David Tomlinson, though, he was, you know, just so, such an amazing, amazing actor. When I was home in his sort of Bentley with his driver back to Henley <laughs> on Thames in his fur coat, I sort of waved him <laughs> off. He was brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, so how did you, what was your first gig like? Uh, sort of how, so how did you sort of initially get onto well, the... first gig yeah. was that talent night. Oh, first my God. first gig I ever did was a talent night in front of Jim and Bob and all my sort of friends who, who were like, you know, who I felt very judged by. Yeah. Know? And I thought that it was so scary. I was sort of 29 and I had to have any other career options. I had no money, you know, no girlfriend. I, I, it was like it had to work. If, I, if, it, that, if it hadn't worked, I, you know, what was going to happen? So. Yeah. I remember standing, I was terrified, you know, I remember, I remember before I went on, and, it, and as it happened, it was brilliant, everyone laughed, and, and they said, you know, you, you, as I said before, you can come on tour with us, so it was literally, <laughs> that was my first ever gig, and then I went on tour with them, with no experience of the circuit, coming on in the middle of big night out, and yeah. like a thousand people at the gigs, everyone was standing, everyone drunk, loud music, you know, it was sort of, it was the sort of set, Mad Chester and all that. And once I, I used to do Tommy in the middle, and they sort of it was a, when they realised it wasn't Jim and Bob. I got I used to, I used to die quite a bit, you know. They yeah. Sort of go get off and all that. When, uh, but after that, I wasn't really scared of anything. You know, having done that tour, I could then go and do normal gigs. And a lot of time they didn't really get it because it was so quiet. You had to listen to it. Yeah. Um, it was you know it was just it was not many people did characters at that time. You had John Shuttworth. Yes. And me, and fine enough, me and John Shuttworth, we both accused each other of nicking each other's characters at the same time. <laughs> we both sort of said, we literally, we were having a conversation at Edinburgh, and we both went, 
have you, did you see my character before? <laughs> you know what I mean? It was really weird. And then we literally both, we hadn't. It was just, you know, he had he'd done his guy and I had done my guy, you know, and they were, they were very similar, sort of quiet, strange, you know, sort of men. I mean, I love John Shuttleworth. Yeah, and you've got people like Count Arthur Strong, I suppose, now is... Uh... Yeah, yeah, they've taken over the sort of mantle, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what was what was touring with Vic and Bob like? It was crazy times. I remember I went to all the tours and it must have been sort of a crate. Or, or were they very no, kind of reserved? It was absolutely brilliant, you know, because I literally been sort of labouring as, as a sort of landscape gardener and suddenly yeah. I was on tour with them, you know, and coaches and screaming girls and just them being hysterically <laughs> funny the whole time, you know, and it, my life just flipped around it was like i just can't believe this is happening you know and it was it was very it was just great you know 1990 all the music and yeah. happy mondays and all that and it was all good you know it was just incredible really yeah it was kind of unlike any anything that anybody else was doing at the time don't people realize how yeah. how much of, was the sort of northern pride because there was nothing northern on telly then you might have mm. some sort of missable film but you know, it was it was northern people with northern accents being cool and funny and and being on primetime telly. It wasn't about London and you know and sneering and, and Steve Cook. Well, Steve was northern too, but what you know what I mean? It was yeah. very northern, and and the, the the audiences were so into it from that, you know, and just there's a lot of sort of pride that they were doing it, you know. Um, yeah, and, and and it was just mad. It was nuts. Yeah, you know, they get things thrown at them, a beer thrown on them. It's very riotous, you know. You're bad to shout a lot of the time. Yeah. Oh, you look at them now, and they're still going strong. They're, you know, they're still yeah. doing stuff, and Bob and his fishing. But and... they're very weird at the double act. They don't seem to have. They don't seem to have those normal sort of tensions that double acts have. They just generally get on. I've never yeah. seen them argue. I've ne- they've never gone up. They've neither of them. And they've had plenty of time. They've ever come up and gone. Oh, you know, Jim's driving me crazy, blah, blah, <laughs> and vice versa. I mean, yeah, little niggly things, yeah. but nothing proper. And, you know, I don't think Jim's bothered that Bob's doing the fishing show, and I don't think Bob's worried that Jim's doing his art. You know, there's yeah. none of that jealousy, which is why they still work together. You know, I think it's very rare that you get that in a double act, because at some point, you know, they start getting upset because the one's doing something and they're not, you know. Yeah, they're both very laid back as well, aren't they? You know, I'd, I'd say it take yeah. a lot to to rile them up <laughs> yeah you know um so did you meet charlie and paul through vic and bob was that how you met yes. them initially then i cut you know then i after that i would do characters and they came and saw me once and they'd seen me they'd seen me on paramount city doing tommy cockles and they saw me come and do you know different characters i did an american and billy bleach and stuff and and no, no that's what i'm talking about i did various characters on stage and, and they and paul said we're doing a character show one day you know, lots and lots of characters, you'd be good for it. And I was like, oh, great. You know, and then one day they just rang me up and said, we're doing it now, you know, next week, come along and read the scripts. Yeah, but I mean, with the characters that you played, how much kind of input did you have? I was talking to Charlie recently and he was talking about his writing process for characters and stuff. So were you given a rough idea? All the characters I did, I wrote entirely myself, apart from the Australian, Carl Hooper. So all all those, okay, Competitive Dad, I wrote, Dave Angel, Billy Bleak, they're all Gideon Soames, every one that I wrote. They they would help me say, you know, and Charlie was always saying, what's the catchphrase? Because if you look at my stuff, if you look at my characters, I've never had any catchphrases, you know, and they weren't particularly fast either. Um, And Charlie was saying, well, you must have a catchphrase, you know. And uh, he he sort of got the, he he wrote, he, he made me, he wrote the catchphrase for Monkfish, you know, pushing it because I make me a cup of tea. Yes. Um, 
you know, he would they they would both come in and say try this and take that out and put that on and you know they they were very good like that. They were very good at sort of adjusting it to make it better and yeah. for telly and taking out all the stuff without letting you feel they were taking it over. You know, they they were very, they just let you go and yeah. say afterwards. Well, maybe just it, it, you know, it's quite difficult because we you know we're all sort of think we're all fantastic. Once you get a bit of success, you, you know, I'm not always going to mess with my characters. You know, but but yeah, I wrote, always wrote my own stuff. Yeah, it was an, it was such a great mixture of actors, comedians. Do you know what I mean? Everyone kind of brought something to the table. Yeah, it was just luck, really. You know, yeah. we all we all at the right time. We all kind of wanted to. We were all quite ambitious at that point, and we all were very different performers. You had two two from the north, Caroline and John. Then you had Mark from the Midlands. And then you had me and Paul from two different sides of London, so yeah. South East London, which is very different to North London in, in terms of accent and 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 stuff like that. So. It was quite. It was quite sort of um, multinational. That's the wrong word. Yeah. But it, it it was quite. You know, it was it was a good mix. Good mix. Yeah. So where did Dave Angel came from? There's obviously a love of Mike Reed in there. Was it? Yes, I read his book Trippic. <laughs> I, was, I was became a bit obsessed with it. Yeah. Like some, some stories in like one. Apparently, he was working at a big old scrapyard. They had a rat problem, and he claimed that he caught all the rats and bit through their necks <laughs> and threw them in a great big pile. And the guy came back and said, I've killed all your rats for you, stuff like that. And I just thought he was so odd, like when he did that, he did that run around. And then he was brilliant on EastEnders. He was the best oh, thing yeah. ever on EastEnders. Yeah. What do you think I am? Some sort of double yoga. <laughs> and um, I just thought, what what would that bloke really not care about? And I thought, global warming. You know, the, the, you juxtapose the fact that he really cares about the planet. I just think that would be stupid and silly. And um, it sort of came from there, really. Yeah, I love the, um, the intro walk and the turnaround at the end. Yeah, people, class. Wait, that's all people really want, you know, is the walk. Um, <laughs> the, the, why was that funny? You just don't know, do you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I want, and Moonlight so, Shadow know. as well. Where did the, Was that just a... <laughs> I don't know. It just seemed, it, it seemed very apt. It seemed apt for, you know, it was funny, the combination of that song and him. Yeah. <laughs> no, do you, that time, you, you know. Exactly. It's just an idea, isn't it? Yeah, where did Billy Bleach come from? I've heard, I heard that he was an actual person that you'd, you'd seen. No, the name's real. Someone's uncle that I knew, and it was just—he was just an amalgam of all those sort of pub people who were actually quite intelligent, but were never going to get out of the pub, you know. And and the, and they were trapped, but they were actually quite intelligent, sort of sensitive people. But they were stuck in that pub, you know, and they yeah. got Noel's and. So he was quite a tragic character in a way. As a lot of the characters on the Far Show were, you know, the, the, the characters. But a lot of the Far Show was about men being terrible, really. If you, if you look at the, the characters, Ralph and Ted. And, yeah, yeah. And and you know, competitive dad and all these. It was about it was about men being rubbish, really. You know, and yeah. Not, and men not being frightened to show that men were, were sort of useless in lots of ways. And I think a lot of people sort of missed that side of it because it was there was no one sort of triumphant in it. Um. Yeah, that that was who he was based on. You know, a guy that would come up and help you with a fruit machine, help you with a cigarette <laughs> machine, you know. Um, but I spent a lot of time in pubs, so I met a lot of people like that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, who would have been your comedy heroes growing up? Uh, well, I was very lucky, our generation, because we had we had all those classic sitcoms, you know, like, watch, what you watch for your dad, like Dad's Army yeah. and Porridge and you know, Steptoe and Sons and Hancock. Yes. And so... We, had, we were really steeped in, in good characters, you know, especially something like Dad's Army and Porridge. You had so many different, very real characters that weren't necessarily telling gags, but they but they were just funny 
by their interaction with other people. And then, of course, Monty Python was kind of the gun that fired off the whole of the 90s comedy. That's why 90s comedy is probably seen as the best ever sort of year. You look at it like Wines, you know, you've got the day-to-day, and you've got Father Ted, and you've got... Uh, a League of Gentlemen yeah. and The Far Show and Harry Enfield and Jim and Bob. You know, we, we were all sort of children of Monty Python. So Monty Python was like the best show ever because it, it was kind of, it was so different, you know, and odd. Um, and it wasn't frightened to try anything. That will just let us think you can do anything. You don't have to go, yeah. well, that's a bit wicked, isn't it? You can just you can just try it and see how it works, you know. Yeah, comedy kind of, it's kind of timeless, wasn't it? You know, you can still listen to the goons and stuff now even. Yeah, and it's all just I as mean, as relevant. Our time, but yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Also a big, a bigger, they say the goons was a bigger leap, the comedy at the time, than Python was. But but you know the goons is obviously very important too. Yeah, um, so you've done so much other acting since the far show. I always love seeing you pop up in <laughs> in stuff that I'm watching. You know, you've been in Holby, uh, Jonathan Creek, Death in Paradise, <laughs> King King Gary, The Windsors. Pennyworth was a great little... Oh, have you even seen Pennyworth? Yes. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love all that kind of stuff, all the, the Batman stuff. And, you know, uh, so that was really uh, cool seeing you pop up as the landlord in that last year. So was was acting something that came... It came naturally after the comedy stuff? Or was it just something... Yeah, you kind I always of... sort of thought I could act. I could do certain things, you know. Um, and, 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 you know, acting is great because you don't have to write anything. You just turn up and do it. And it pays all right. And it's sort of... A, it's quite good from a lazy point of view. But it's quite difficult to break out from stand-up into acting. Mm. They don't—they don't really see you as an actor. You don't, if you don't go to drama school, and it's taken me a while now that I get more work now. I think cause I'm just at the age where I can play sort of old men, a bitter old men like the landlord <laughs> anyway. and the guy in King Gary. I just think that's kind of a your time sort of comes around, doesn't it? Like like with King Gary. Tom was sort of fan of the Far Show, and he thought he, you know, Simon Day's got to play my dad. You know, <laughs> the Far Show point sort of inspired him and his comedy. So, yeah, my acting's great because, as I say, it's difficult because obviously you don't, you're much better doing your own stuff that you've written. Well, I am. Anyway. Yeah. Sometimes the writing's obviously without being big-headed, the writing's not as good, and you have to try and change a bit. And some people let you do it, and some don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know I was watching the the Fast Show documentary uh, recently, and they showed all the uh, the archive at UEA of all the diff- all the scripts and stuff. And it's amazing, yeah. you know. They've just kept, they've kept everything. I know. I was very surprised to see they had that. I had no idea, no idea that existed. Um, and uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah. So it's like looking back on your no stuff that you've written, you've handwritten, and you know handed in to Charlie yeah, well, Paul and stuff. Right. That's what I mean. There's, there's lots of laughing about that because i you know i'm not i've got I'm dyslexic and i've got adhd yeah. so i'm not i'm not i'm not sitting in front of the computer for eight hours person yeah so it's a good job that i had charlie there and paul to do all that stuff especially charlie yeah yeah oh i really i also really loved uh your brian pern <laughs> i loved brian pern's your character yeah that was great to do because you know reese that was kind of reese's thing he, you know he thought it would make a great tv show and we started looking at these little films of Peter Gabriel, who just seemed so awkward and the opposite of Keith Richards. You know, no drugs, awkward, sort of very quiet um, English rock performer, but very serious. You know, um, no fart jokes. You know, just very, very, but very. Everything happens around him. He's not particularly good at interacting with people, and we just took it on from there, really. Same, no one really saw that because I'm really proud of that. Yeah. Oh, I've so many friends that absolutely love it. 
you know, and any time you mention yeah. the, the name, they're like, yeah, oh, no, oh my God, so good. Got a bit of an audience, but it didn't stay on the iPlayer for very long, it's a shame. Mm. So, I mean, it was like, what was he? He was the first person to use plasticine in a video. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so that ties us kind of nicely into music aspect of this podcast. Um, so what have been your own kind of personal music loves over the years? Well, I was always sort of really, you know, music and comedy, they were kind of my two things I was mm. obsessed with as a kid growing up. Um, and I was in a band briefly when I was 16, wow. called Simon and the Virgins. Um, and we supported the Ruts and Squeeze and, uh, you know, we were all very young. But um, they all went off to have careers in the music industry, the rest of them. Seamus did, and Ni- the drummer died, like, which is very sad. Yeah. Nigel died very young, like rock and roll sort of drummer. Um, a bit like Spinal Tap. But we, yeah, I just always liked music, you know, and I was, my first major band I was into was, was Slade. My brother liked T-Rex and I liked Slade. Yeah. Because they, they were just so sort of yobby, you know, yeah, as an adolescent. Yeah. They were a great band. And then I just followed the normal sort of path of all, people new wave and, and punk and then we got into all to the specials thing and then you know rock music led zeppelin and then and then i got into house music so yeah kind of a broad eclectic mix of musical taste yeah is there anybody you'd seen you've seen live that you'd particularly go oh that was an amazing gig um my favorite gigs would be dr feelgood i saw them about four times they were like this sort of proto punk band who were actually sort of blues band but they were very sort of cool and the, uh, you know the jam picked up a lot from them, and them injury in the blockheads I saw live absolutely brilliant. Uh, Black and Who were at Glastonbury, Talking Heads, um, and last year I saw or the year before I saw Steely Dan, who who I've uh, my favourite band I've been obsessed with years and years. I saw them last year at Wembley, so they they were amazing. Yeah, what was it like seeing somebody like them at uh, at Wembley? I mean, I'm not a fan of big venues myself you know it was well you know it was the SS arena yeah and it, it was sort of fairly full um and sadly Walt Becker had died the year before but mm. you know Donald Fagan was was there and he was he was you know really good and they just got such a great band the drummer I mean the drummer actually probably the best drummer in the world you know Keith Carlock a very famous drummer mm-hmm. and they were just great I went with John Thompson who's a sort of a jazz funker yeah it was brilliant yeah uh, I also need to talk about you. You became an author as well a few years ago, uh, writing your autobiography, Comedy and Error. They really were marvellous times back in 2011. So what was that process like? Was it quite cathartic? Did you keep diaries um, or...? No, I, I, you know, they asked me to do it. I wasn't sure I wanted to do it, but, you know, it was quite good money at the time. Yeah. And so I couldn't really afford to turn it down. And I read a lot of other biographies, and they weren't really honest. They were, it was all like they were comedians. I read a lot of comedians. Yeah. But it was all like, yeah, it was great. And then I was on telly, and it was all real fun. And I don't, I think a lot of comedians there has to be quite a bit of darkness in there. I mean, it's not nor- it's not a normal job, as I said before. And that was what I sort of wanted to show in it. What makes a comedian? You know, what what combination of sort of most comedians have had some sort of trauma in their life, or they've got a weird relationship with their parents, or. <laughs> Whatever, because that they're, they're trying to get love from somewhere else. Yeah. So most of the good ones, anyway. I mean, you know, most of my heroes are, were all lunatics. You know, Tony Hancock committed suicide. Mm-hmm. They're damaged, aren't they? I don't believe you have to be damaged to be 
to be a good comic, but I think it certainly helps. It certainly is. Most of the people that the, the top people have always been really messed up from Richard Pryor right through to Steve Coogan. You know, I mean, he's a lovely guy, but he's, he's not normal. Um, and I mean that in a nice possible way. Um, yeah, so that was just, that was just, and I, you know, you have all the stories because you've told the funny stories yeah. so many times you know them all. I mean, it was a bit grim writing some of it because I had quite a grim time, you know, yeah. in parts of my life, but um, it sort of ended up okay, I think, touch wood, you know. So do you think you'll write a follow-up? Well, you know, it didn't sell that well. It's, it, it, people now who read it love it, people who read it, but books have kind of, these days, books are really, you know, there's no advances anymore and stuff like that. So it's like, it's quite a lot of work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do a whole book and to think, well, who, how many people are going to read it, you know, so... But I, I mean, I, part of me would like to do a second one, yeah, but I think I've said most of the interesting things already. So did it, did it take long to put everything together? Or was it was it kind of over a, a period um, of years? I, or? I can't, no, I don't know if it was a year. I'd say about six months. Maybe longer. I honestly can't remember. But I, I, did, I had no problem writing it because, like most comics, I'm self-obsessed. And, you know, <laughs> I've, I've got this quite an interesting life. And I sort of thought, I just sort of rattled through it, really. I had a brilliant editor lady she edited it for me and cut bits out put bit you know and did what would work and what wouldn't and and yeah so how have you been how have you been coping during lockdown simon have you been have you been kind of trying to lockdown stay proactive it's no different to my normal life so you spend vast amounts of time sitting around anyway so i've just we just hung out with the kids really we've got a puppy and you know just hung out i did a drove around a bit when it was totally empty on the <laughs> circus that was good fun as long as you don't get out of the car it's okay isn't it and um yeah, what are you going to do? You do a yeah. bit of writing, you do a bit of this, you do a bit of that. You know, it's all a bit hysterical, I think, personally, the whole thing. I mean, I wear a mask when I go out. Apart from that, worrying about, you know, this and that, and we're on tier three, you know, it's just annoying. It's just, it's just fear-mongering, you know. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. We're in five, we're in lockdown level five at the moment, and it's just, you know. It's, five? Yeah. Well, it's, it's the Irish, oh, five, the right. Irish equivalent at five is pretty much top Top, top right. level lockdown. <laughs> Jesus, we're at five already. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's crazy. There's protests going on in the streets. It's Better the same off. in London as well, isn't it? You know. Yeah, yeah. Get locked out soon. You know. Well, we're all still going. <laughs> yeah, which is good. Which is good. It's difficult now. You know, it's a shame because it's very hard for character comics to get on telly now because it's viewed as being too expensive and too much yeah. to gamble. You know, they just go, well, what if no one watches it? And what if it's not funny? And it's expensive character comedy, locations and clothes and wardrobe and all that. It's very difficult now to get through, you know. In, in some ways, it's not, because you can just build up following on YouTube and all that. Yeah. 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 On telly, there's less of it. Yeah. It's like that watching that Wogan thing. You could you could tell that the audience were all over, they were all over 60. Do you know what I mean? And they didn't, yeah. they didn't know, <laughs> they didn't know what was going no on. You know, it must have been really well, kind of painful. Yeah, well, no, I was used to it. I died so many times as Tommy because people, people just like it's just it's quite subtle, isn't it? Yeah. If you don't get it, and you like a pubby sort of stand up, they just start talking louder and louder. But you know, get used to it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you so much for chatting with me, Simon. It's been an absolute. No it's been a pleasure. No, I'm glad to have done it for you. I hope whoever listened to it liked it. 